Well, good evening and welcome to the fourth in our series, um, Theology Condensed. Would you believe we're now over halfway through exploring the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible that's found in Exodus 34, where God reveals to Moses his name. To do this, we're basing our whole series on this brilliant book by John Mark Cope. Comer entitled God Has a Name. It's uh, much of the material that I'm using and that we're using throughout this series is taken from this book and I really would thoroughly recommend it to you if you would like to read it. And just a reminder, don't forget that we have Zoom after this session and there's lots that I won't be covering, lots that I have questions I'm sure you'll have at the end of this session. Uh, so do, if you feel up to it and would like to join the Zoom discussion, uh, the link will be in the chat there for you. So shall we pray and commit our evening to God now? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to dig into your word tonight to find out more about who you are, your amazing character. Father, we pray that you would speak to us tonight. May we go from listening to this to know more about you and to worship you and to serve you and to follow you better. Father, speak to us through your living word, we pray this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start, shall we, by reading those verses in Exodus 34, where we start every week. Um, it's one of the few places in the Bible where God describes himself. It's God's self-disclosure statement, if you like, his press release to the world. So Exodus chapter 34, and I'm going to read from verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed by in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Fantastic words that we're probably getting to know quite well now as we've listened to them each week. Well, this evening we're going to explore that little phrase there, slow to anger. I wonder, have you ever lost your temper? Don't worry, you don't need to answer that question. Perhaps I should ask, have you ever seen somebody else lose their temper? You know how their shoulders go back and they suck in air and then they go red in the face and then their nostrils flare out and they begin to release their anger at whatever it is or whoever it is that has provoked them. However, what about somebody who is slow to anger? Maybe they purse their lips, close their mouth tight and breathe in slowly through their nose. Well, in the Hebrew, which um, doesn't translate word for word into to Eng English, that's what slow to anger means. It means literally long of nostrils. It's a great phrase, isn't it? Long of nostrils. In other words, God is long of nostrils. He takes a long, slow breath. He takes time. He is patient. He is slow to anger. Well, to understand this phrase a little bit more, um, we can find it used a couple of times, well, lots of times in the Bible, but a couple of times um, for us to look at in Proverbs. And it helps us unpack a bit about this aspect of God's character. So the first is in uh, Proverbs 14, verse 20, 
9, where it says, whoever is patient, that word there means long of nostrils, slow to anger, has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And then if we uh, look on again in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32, it says there, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. That word patient, again, is slow to anger. God doesn't easily get angry. He's very patient. He has great understanding, that verse says. He's self-controlled. In other words, you have to work hard to make him angry. You have to work hard to make him mad. God is slow to anger. This implies, then, that God can and does get angry. And I think this is something that we don't tend to like to think about. We like to think about the fact that he's loving, perhaps no, or that he's slow to anger, but not so much about the fact that he does get angry. And a lot of people tend to think that that's a hangover from another time when God was angry. But the Bible speaks of God's wrath or anger more than 600 times. So it is something we need to take note of. And it would be helpful to look at a couple of um, verses now about God's anger. So if we look at Psalm 7, verses 11 and 12, it says this. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. Gosh, God shows his wrath every day. It talks about God owning weapons, um, swords and bows. And then if we go on and look at Psalm um, 5, verses 5 and 6, it says, You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful Lord you detest. So God hates, God detests. This is very different to the God of love that we tend to focus on, isn't it? God is slow to be angry on the one hand, but he has reason to be angry on the other. But who do we discover that God is angry with? Well, it's the wicked, isn't it? Those who do wrong, the rapist, the terrorist, the abusive parent, the con artist who rips off the vulnerable. This is who God hates, who God is angry with. But then every time we hear about a child who's sold into prostitution or a rape or a murder, we all think, don't we, that that's not how it is supposed to be. And that's right. That's that feeling against injustice that we have, because injustice is evil and we get angry about it, don't we? Well, God does, too. God feels that pain, too. He feels the anger over the evil that he sees in his world. But what we really need to understand is that on the whole, God's anger is very different from our anger. Often when we get angry, it's due in part, if we're honest, to our wounded ego. Because somebody has annoyed us or doesn't do what we want them to do or puts us down or takes advantage of us. Often anger for us is quite a selfish response. But God's anger isn't like that. God's anger is from a parent-like love for his child. The anger perhaps a parent would have towards a drug dealer that was selling drugs to their child. Or that anger that makes you want to stop your child um, and, and shout at them for running out in front of a car because you don't want them to get hurt. The way we act in anger often leads to revenge rather than to justice. 
that kind of, well, he hit me, so I'm going to hit him even harder back. He took my wife, so I'm going to murder him. We see it everywhere, this endless cycle of violence in our world, because our natural tendency is more for revenge. You give me a black eye, so I'll give you two in return. We say we want justice, but really in our hearts we're looking on the whole for revenge. And that's why the teaching in the Torah that we see in the Old Testament of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth at the time was so revolutionary. Because God said, let there be justice, not revenge. Let the punishment fit the crime. God's punishment always fits the crime. Whereas our anger flares up, we don't think or react appropriately often. God, on the other hand, is patient. He's waiting for the right time and the right place. And remember what we heard last week. We discovered that God is gracious and compassionate. That's God's default. God is slow to anger. Well, for a moment, let's look at an account in the Old Testament where we see both of these aspects, all of these aspects of God's character played out. And it's in the story of Jonah. Now, I'm sure you remember the story of Jonah well. He was running away, wasn't he, to start with. But in the end, he goes to Nineveh and the people repent of their sins when they hear God's message. So God also then changes his mind, doesn't he? And he holds back from punishing them. But if you fast forward 150 years to the prophet Nahum, which is a tiny little book at the end of the Old Testament, quite hard to find, and we find tragically that the Ninevites have turned back on that evil and back to that evil again. And this is what Nahum writes in his prophecy. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. And the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. I don't know if you spotted, but it's a direct quote from Exodus 34. In fact, if you look closely at the story of Jonah, you find that Exodus 34 is quoted twice with reference to Nineveh. The first time by Jonah when he's cross at God. Do you remember? He says, I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God and you were slow to anger when God relents on punishing the Ninevites. The first time God spares the city. But the second time Yahweh God finally says enough. What we see in this story is that God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, that that is his nature, that is how he is wired. But there also comes a time when God says, enough is enough, no more violence, no more injustice. If you jump forward a few verses to verse 8, it says this, with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end to Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into darkness. You see, God has a threshold. And when sin crosses a certain line, his anger finally awakens like a sleeping lion. And in the Bible, it's called God's wrath. And this evening, we're going to look briefly at two types of God's wrath that we can find in Scripture. They're active and passive wrath. So active wrath is when God acts directly to stop evil. There's a story in 2 Samuel, in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel 6, where the Israelites are moving the Ark of the Covenant 
to Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is, is symbolic of God's presence, but the people of God weren't carrying it in a way that God had ordained. And the priest Uzziah, he touches the Ark when the oxen stumble. And we read that Yahweh's anger burns against him in that moment because of what he's done. And God strikes him down and he dies there immediately, on the spot. There he is, dead. God's wrath was active and immediate against the sin that he had committed. And this isn't just an Old Testament story. We find this in the New Testament too. You'll probably remember the story of Ananias and his wife. They both lie to Peter and to God. And in a moment, right there in front of all the people, they're struck down by God's wrath and they die. Now... To be fair, there are a few stories in the Bible like this. They are, if you like, the exception to the rule, but they are there. They show us of God's active wrath. The problem I think we find is they're often highlighted and brought to the fore by people who want to point the finger and say that God is an angry God and not a loving one. But most of the time, what we read in the Bible is about passive wrath, God's passive wrath. And this is when God doesn't act when God doesn't act, but that in itself is the judgment. Now, we find this in Paul's letter to Romans, Romans uh, 1, 26 to 28. He writes about God's wrath over this downward spiral of, of society in, in Rome in the first century. And he says this, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another, and then he goes on in verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And then he goes on again in verse 28, um, that God gave them over to be a depraved mind. So God gave them over to their sinful desires. He gave them over to their shameful lusts. There are times when God says, OK, have it your way. He takes away his hand of blessing and covering on somebody's life and says, you're on your own now. And that's what we saw as Nineveh was destroyed by Babylon, as a marriage is wrecked by adultery, as a mind is ruined by pornography. You see, when your heart is not right, the worst thing that can happen is for God to give you what you want. And that's what happened to Nineveh. But listen to this, only after 150 years, because God is slow to anger. Yahweh waited 150 years before he gave Nineveh up. God gave that city, God gives us chance after chance after chance, because Yahweh, God, is slow to anger. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as understands some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, slow to anger, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What a great verse. Now, it's worth commenting, isn't it, that we live in a very different time now to that time of Moses. In fact, most people are oblivious, aren't they, to the spiritual dimension of the universe. You'll remember Christine um, teaching a couple of weeks back on Yahweh, um, that at that time there understood to be many different gods who were angry, hostile gods that needed appeasing with sacrifices and offerings to satisfy their desires, to please them. 
It was into that environment that God reveals to Moses that he's not like that. He's a compassionate and gracious God. He's slow to anger. Now, this would have been a completely different way of viewing deity then. But sadly, here in the 21st century, we've changed the narrative of God is love to God never gets angry at all. And what's happened is we started to redefine love. God is love. God is not angry. God is tolerant. Love is tolerance. That's the journey that we've gone on. So you've heard the phrase, do what's right for you. Live and let live. Who am I to judge? But we have to ask the question, what about the serial rapist? What about the paedophile? No, of course not. Of course not. At some point, tolerance has a limit, doesn't it? There's a line where we will not tolerate. The problem is we don't agree on where that line should be. What we do find, though, is that love and tolerance are not, in fact, the same thing. The kind of anger we see in God, that anger that is patient, that is just and unselfish, that comes from love, the love of a father who cares about his children. Now, I think this is brilliant. Listen to this. Yahweh's love is an attribute, but wrath isn't. The Bible doesn't say God is anger. The Bible says God is love, but it doesn't say God is anger. Anger is God's response to the evil in our world. The Bible teaches that God is love, but we never read that God is wrath. Wrath, anger, it's a response. It's a response to evil in the world. Now, we're going to look at an example of this working out, of love and anger working out from the life of Jesus. And then we're going to have a a look at how all of this perhaps applies to us. So let's have a look at Jesus. Because some people think, and this has come out interestingly in our Zoom conversations, that some people think of God of the Old Testament as the angry, violent God. And then we come to Jesus in the New Testament. He's the kind of gentle, tolerant son who taught his dad what it means to be kind. interestingly if we look at the new testament jesus says more about coming judgment than anyone else in the new testament so i thought it would be good to look at one of the stories that jesus shows us it's in um, john 2 verses 12 to 17 now we don't have time to read the whole account and i'm sure it's one that you're familiar with It's found in all the four Gospels, which in and of itself underlines its importance, along with the crucifixion and the resurrection. Interestingly, it's the story of Jesus cleansing or clearing the temple. Now, when Jesus goes to the temple courts, he finds people selling cattle and sheep and doves, all the items that they needed for sacrifice. Now, of course, you'll remember that the temple was a sacred place, a place where people brought their sacrifices, often having travelled for many days to worship their God. They were coming to a place where God dwelt among his people. They were coming to a place where they could meet with God. But these corrupt spiritual leaders were using it to exploit the worshippers. They were refusing to accept the animals that they brought, insisting that they brought, uh, bought overpriced animals at the temple. They were also asking um, that it was paid with what's something called the temple coin. So they were doing this exorbitant um, exchange rate so that people had to buy these temple coins. 
the behavior that Jesus sees going on in the temple of his God, of God, of his father, doesn't just annoy him, it makes him really angry. And you'll remember the story, he makes a whip, which must have taken time. So this wasn't a, a, prompt, a, a reaction, a temper reaction, if you like. He'd thought about this. It was a thought through response against the injustice and the wrongdoing that he could see. But think about it. How else is Jesus supposed to feel when he sees such injustice in his own home, in his own house? When you think about it, Jesus had visited the temple many times through his life. I don't think this was just a spur-of-the-moment decision, but here we see judgment. Jesus is putting that line in the sand, if you like. After years and years of calling Israel to repentance, Jesus says, enough, enough. But what we see in Jesus is the anger born out of his love, love for those people, love for God. The truth is, I think, if we don't get angry sometimes, then perhaps we really don't no love. The opposite of love is perhaps not hate but apathy because when we see somebody in pain we are moved to do something aren't we? And of course God's love and wrath ultimately shown in the death of his son. Jesus dying on the cross for us. God's wrath, God's anger against sin and his love for his creation met together satisfied in the cross. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. So, what does it mean for us? What about you? What about me? How do you view God? How do you respond to this truth that we have explored this evening, that God is slow to anger? Is this something that you struggle with? Perhaps you have a view of God that um, you think that he's just waiting for you to mess up so that he can shoot you down with his anger and his wrath. Maybe you grew up with, in an angry home and all that you can think about is being yelled, up, uh, yelled at by your dad or your mum. Or maybe you know that you are sinning in an area of your life and however hard you try, you just keep messing up and thinking that one of these days God is going to give up on you. This morning, we all need to hear this message, don't we? That God is slow to anger. He is a patient God. And he sees not only now, but the future. He sees who you are becoming in him. And like a father or a mother, he's coaxing you on, calling you forward to a closer walk with him to become all that he has called you to be. But for some of us, perhaps we do need to hear that God is slow to anger, but God does have anger, that God does not like sin. God hates sin in our lives. I wonder if there are things, if there is sin in our lives. We were challenged about it this morning, weren't we? Sin that we need to deal with, that we need to deal with now. Before our loving Heavenly Father, we need to say sorry, we need to repent and deal with those things that make God angry in our lives. Understanding there will be consequences if we don't. Because we don't want to be in that day when God says, enough, have your own way. We want today to respond to our loving God. 
Because God isn't a permissive parent who lets anything go. And he's not an angry, bad-tempered dad either. He's a good father, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. And as we discover who God is, we're challenged to look at how we live, aren't we? Hard question, but are we like God? That's what, what it means to be godly men and women, isn't it? God is compassionate. Am I? Are you? God is gracious. Am I? Are you? God is slow to anger. Am I? Are you? God, who we follow, is slow to anger. So we to be slow to anger too. Hmm, that's a challenge. I really find this a challenging question. Because anger doesn't only present itself in temper outbursts, does it? Although that might be a challenge for you. And do allow God to point that out and work if that is something that you struggle with. But I think anger can also be very subtle, can't it? It can leak out of us in constructive criticism, digging at people with a sarcastic comment or an unkind humour or gossiping unkindly behind somebody's back. Even we can be angry towards ourselves, can't we, that no one else sees. Yeah, this sort of anger, it's subtle, isn't it? Because it leaves communities, it leaves relationships and even ourselves sometimes messed up, crippling trust, shattering intimacy. But what we recognise is these things don't change overnight. But God does call us onto a journey where we face these things in ourselves and we ask him to change us to be in his likeness and to deal with the sin in our lives. Well, we're nearly there, <laughs> finally. Let's um, close. This is, I love the book of J- um, the James's letter. And there's, um, this is one of my favourite verses, probably because it, it's challenging for me. In verse 19 of chapter 1, he says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And then if you read on in, in verse 7, James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another. Don't get angry with one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. That uh, word patient is a quote straight from Exodus 34. Long of nostrils, slow to anger, be patient. James is saying, teaching us how to treat those people who make us angry. For James says, the judge is standing at the door. That day is coming when Yahweh, when the Lord, when God will finally judge the earth. Every human will stand before their creator and God will set every wrong thing right. Because very soon God will set the crooked things straight. We don't have to do that. That's not up to us. We give place to a healthy Yahweh kind of anger over injustice. That's right. And we do something about it. But we are challenged, aren't we, to let go of that lust that we have for revenge when we're angry. 
because Yahweh is the judge and not us. And we are called to be like him, compassionate, gracious and slow to anger. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And the Lord Just for 